This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Yeah, let me open with prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you even uh, for what Ben encouraged us with this morning. We, uh, we are human, and so we live in a place of confusion often. Um, we don't know everything. We're not all-powerful. And so we're um, constantly negotiating the resources that we have and, and seeking to make steps forward in what we think is right. And, man, life is just uh, a lot of wondering where we ought to be, where we want to be. Um, but, but in that life, Lord, you, you're encouraging us, you're reminding us that at the end of the day, um, you're with us. We're, we're not walking through this life alone. We're here with Emmanuel, God with us. We're here with Christ. We're here with our Heavenly Father. We're indwelt by the Spirit. And um, my desire this morning is that as we wrestle with difficult things or, or simple things and all the above, Lord, that at the end of the day, our thoughts, our emotions, our hearts, our minds, our desires, everything would be oriented towards the reality that you are with your people. Help us rest in that, even this morning, Lord, especially this morning. In your name I pray, amen. I... um. Yeah, I've really kind of enjoyed, and I've said this to like, oh, cute. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen any of the graphics stuff. <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, yeah, I've really kind of enjoyed, uh, sorry for those I'm repeating this too, but I've really enjoyed walking through the, uh, the servant songs and like considering uh, prophecies that find their fulfillment in Christ in like super clear ways in the gospels. Um, you know, like we, we read the gospels or read the new Testament part of our Bibles. And, you know, I think, I guess we all use electronic Bibles, but for most of us, if we have a Bible for any amount of time, the pages are all stuffy on this side. And then they're all like shiny and clean on this other side. You know, like you can tell like which part of our Bibles we spend the most time in, uh, just by looking at the pages. And so there for me and just growing up in the church and, and, going through Christmassy things and you hear the, the Isaiah passages, you know, like, um, you know, he, he didn't turn his, or the one that we read recently, he was, I turn not back, I give my back to those who strike, my cheek to those who pull out the beard. And the, this idea that, that Christ was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And, and we get into like later in a couple of chapters, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. And there's all these like, I think there's all these like classic and, and rightfully so, like classic passages that we know from the Old Testament because uh, we read a lot of the story in the New Testament part of our Bible. And so it's kind of been like a new experience for me um, to just sit these things in the context of the whole book of Isaiah uh, and to really like understand or try to better understand like what God is communicating through this book um, in this section and in this little part. And so it's been really fun for me to kind of walk through and I think just have like a fresh sense of appreciation for who Christ is and what he really accomplished. 
And I, I say that because like, as we go through Isaiah, I mean, we, I, I even tell this as like a joke, but it, it's dead serious. Like we spent a series from chapter 13 to 28 of like judgment of God. Like it was not our, all of our favorite parts of, of the, it wasn't, you know, it was my favorite part of the Isaiah series, but God gave us that in scripture. So we want to like take those sections seriously and like truly wrestle with them. And so in the book of Isaiah, we're talking about God's people who have just like decades after decades have ignored prophet after prophet. And even they're ignoring Isaiah and, and God's like going after them and drawing them to himself and, and refining them. And he's promising these like grand things for his people. And, and even in the beginning, chapter one is like a summary of like kind of the overarching theme of the book. He's, he's saying Jerusalem is the worst. And he's even like, why are they even worshiping? Like their worship is exhausting to me. Like stop already. But he, even in the chapter one, he's like, but like I will refine you. Like I'm gonna make a people who will be called the glorious city, who, who at some point nations will stream into and say, hey, what do you guys know that we don't know? Like he's like, I'm gonna design a group of people. I'm gonna shape and mold a people so that they would be glorious, that they would be wonderful, that they would be just an image in, in reflecting the beauty and the glory of everything that God will do. And as you read through Isaiah, it's kind of depressing on like how that's gonna work itself out. You just don't, you don't see a lot of like corporate good news. And you even get like the good king that did good things because there's two major kings in the book. There's a good king that does really good things. At the end of his story, he kind of like sells everyone out to Babylon. And when Isaiah's like, hey, they're going to come and, and, and take all this stuff away from you, but it won't be in your time. He's like, oh, sweet. Like my kids can deal with that, you know? <laughs> and you're like, this is the good king. <laughs> And so then we're here, we're so far into this book and we're in like 50 chapters later, basically, you know, you get little pictures of this one that will come that will do these, begin to do these wonderful things. And it's the first picture they give us is of King Cyrus. So it's not even, Isaiah isn't even communicating like the grand nature of the servant first. He's giving us little pictures of the King Cyrus who will gather the people back and rebuild the temple. But, but there's like someone better than him as we move into chapter 49, it's hinted at in other chapters like chapter 12 or the, the, the root of Jesse. So there's all these little kind of hints along the way. And it kind of starts to blow, the, the doors blow open in the book of Isaiah right about now. Like we are like peak revelation of the glory and the majesty of that future king that will come, the servant that will come and finally do the things that enables God to gather a people together to be glorious, to be wonderful, to be his image to the world. And in the last chapter, there's this interesting conversation between the servant and God and the servants feeling like, everything he's doing isn't working out. He's like, this isn't going so well. But I trust, I trust what God is up to, you know? And I think we see that even in the gospels where he's like, Lord, if there's another way, but your will be done. Like there's still that impulse of just like knowing that he's doing God's work, but feeling like, what in the world, Lord? 
I want to, tr I trust you. I do trust you, but th this isn't working out. And so in the last chapter, he says, yeah, this isn't working out. It, or you say it's not working out. You say this isn't good. It's actually not good enough that I just do a wonderful and glorious thing with Israel. This is going to go worldwide. So we get a huge promise in the last chapter about like how this is going to go down. And then we walk into chapter 50 and we're sort of, it's an interesting chapter because if you were listening, uh, there's a hint, there's a two uncomfortable transitions in this chapter. Uh, and even commentators are like, I'm not really sure what this paragraph has to do with this paragraph. And so, so we're going we're gonna to kind of walk through it a little bit. But the first, uh, kind of the first thing that I, I want to communicate in chapter 50 that is, I think, these first like three verses is that you and I tend to run from God. We tend to run from God. And we're picking up on a theme from the previous chapter. And, and I mentioned this last week. Chapter 49, verse 14, this is like God's people. This is their response to all these promises and all these things that God is communicating and saying that he's going to do in and through the sermon. It's like the good news. He's sharing it. And in the last chapter, God's people say in verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. They're, they're like impugning this reality on God that he actually, because they're looking around at the circumstances and then they're looking at God and they're saying, He's actually not for me. And, and God goes on to say, like, it's more likely that a, a mother isn't for her baby child than I'm not for you. Like, I'm, I'm so committed. I'm so connected. I'm so there for you. And so he's kind of correcting that attitude. And he's doing the same thing here. He's, he's actually looking at the situation where there's some separation from God and his people like where Israel is in a place where they're going to be taken off into exile. Like there's legitimate suffering on the people of God because they are no longer going to be in the presence of God with the temple and the Jerusalem and everything that's there. So it's like a historical reality of their being separated from God. And I think it's easy for us, I mean, uh, word it this way, it's not uncommon for us to feel separate from God. Like, it, I, that's not, that's a, f, I, you know, it feels like a weird thing to say from the pulpit as a preacher, but like, I regularly feel separated from God. Like, I regularly feel, like it, when I'm enjoying worship, when I'm here, when we're singing some of the, the music, and, you know, I appreciate the piano and the guitar. Just like, like, it was a, it felt, like, I was just like, man, I really feel like this is worship. I really feel like, this is the presence of God and I'm enjoying that. And, I, and I, I have a sense of who he is as I praise and I worship him. Like, I love that feeling. I don't walk around all day with that feeling. <laughs> I, want to gr I want that to be a more regular part of my experience. And I think the reason why we're doing the, uh, the Advent guides and those kinds of things is because there are spiritual practices or things we can do to have a more regular sense of just being near and with God. But that's not like every hour, you know? <laughs> um, and that's more often, I would say, that's not my feeling than, than what I experience when I worship him on a Sunday. And, and so here is God kind of just like, like, pushing back 
on us a little bit when we have the sense of him not being present. Look at what he says. This is the Lord saying, because where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I have sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Here's interesting thing. The implied answer on, on all of these questions is you don't have that. Like I didn't give you a certificate of divorce. I didn't say to you, I'm done with you. I, God is pushing back at us. He's looking at us. He's saying, I didn't sell you off. And he says, behold, your iniquities, for your iniquities you were sold. And for your transgressions, your mother was sent away. Just kind of building off on the, the, the images there. And then look what he says in verse two. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? He's saying, I went after you. Not only did I not cut you off, not only did I not sell you out, <laughs> I went after you, I called for you, I came towards you, and you didn't answer. It, the reality is because of sin, because of the fall, because of what's bent inside of us, our natural inclination is to run away from God. Now, I think that, I think we're in the, the last section, I think communicates a little bit of like what that means, you know? Like we're, like no one is, I mean, I haven't, rarely do I talk to someone, I'm not saying it's uncomfortable, where I'm just like, they're just like, I don't want to be a church. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like most of us, if life gets in the way of like gathering and being with God, like that's, we don't like that. So, so when he, when I say like we run from God, when we tend to run from God more often in our lives, that's not expressed from like seeing God and being like, ah, you know, <laughs> more often in our lives when we run from God is we're just attracted to other things, <laughs> but that's what we're doing. And I think this is what God is trying to communicate here. He's calling for us. He's pursuing us. He hasn't divorced us. He hasn't sold us out. He's coming after us. And we're not even, we're not, we don't even typically answer him because that's just kind of how we tend to do. Now, the transition then is he says, so he's, he's, he's explaining this and he says in the next couple of verses, verse uh, at the, you know, the next part of verse two, he says, is my hand shortened that it cannot be redeemed? Again, the, plan, the answer is no, or I have no power to deliver. He's like, uh, excuse me, uh, verse three, I clothe the heavens with blackness. That's a super interesting image. Because like when you look up in the stars, that's like a lot, but like, what is there more of? Blackness. Like he's like, I, like, let me... If you don't think that I'm capable of drawing you to me, if you don't think that I'm capable of bringing you near to me, of, of supporting you, of, of encouraging you, of, of being the one who is with you, let me just speak to you about some of the things that I have done in creation. So he starts with this sort of this, 
I don't know, I don't know how to, he starts with this like pushback on God's people that I think is communicating to us that it's us, it's you and I, we tend to run from God. Like we're the ones that tend to separate ourselves from the goodness and the glory and the majesty of God. Because he's committed, he hasn't sold us out, he's capable, he hasn't divorced us, like he's there for us. And he's, he's, he's kind of, by pushing back at us, I think that's what he's trying to communicate. And then we get, we go from this like communication from God to this first person communication from the servant. So it's just a weird, it's just a weird transition. And I think um, I would like to connect those together at the end because I think what, it, what he's doing is he's just kind of, he's asking us as, he, as the servant communicates how he relies on God. The servant is communicating how he is relying on God in these scenarios. At the, the last part of this section is like kind of giving us a like, which one are you gonna do? Are you going to hear what God is saying, recognize that we tend to run, or are you going to look at the servant? Are you going to look at the one who is going to bring about all this glory and this majesty and this redemption and this rescue? Are you going to look at the servant and see how he so heavily relies on God, even when things around him would seem to be communicating the opposite of what God is sharing? The servant is dedicated to just relying on God and is, and is actually rescued and rewarded and, and proves that God was there for him just like he's there for us. So I, I think that Isaiah is just presenting this picture after we get sort of confronted. He then shows us through the servant the difference between running from God and now this is what it looks like through the servant to actually rely on him. So here is the servant relying on God. And if you're, you know, just kind of a good way to see this in the passage is there's four places where it says the Lord God. It's almost like introducing his posture, his communication to us about his God, his heavenly father. Look at verse four. This is the servant relies on God for words to encourage the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. That I may know how to sustain the word him who is weary. I was kind of struck when I read that that that's the reason for why he is taught. And he even says, like, daily. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Like, the, the verse is just saying, like, hey, you want to be wise? You want to be learned? You want to know some stuff? <laughs> Got home. is your intention with all the wisdom that you receive from God to know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
to know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Just think about even Jesus in the Gospels, you know? What kindness. And even when he has like harsh words for the Pharisees, often that's in the context of because they're tearing everyone else down, you know? It's like to protect the, the people who would want to draw near to him. This is the servant is relying on God. He's, he's seeking wisdom. He's, he's listening to what God has to say in his word for the intention of building up and encouraging others. And I think that like, you know, there's a lot of scripture about what God communicates to us, but it's interesting to me that this is where Isaiah goes in this particular passage, talk about the servant. How many of us want to rely on God for wisdom for some other goal? Like, that's not where our hearts are at. Like, Lord, I'm seeking you. I'm relying on you. I want you to communicate your wisdom and your glory and your majesty to me so that I can encourage this person. I mean, here's Jesus coming down to earth, utterly relying on the wisdom of God so that he can expand Joseph's carpentry business across the Mediterranean. <laughs> you know, I don't know, that's all I could, so you just got on the fly there, you know, whatever it is. Like we all go to God for wisdom for certain things. And, and obviously I think there is like, we can talk about Solomon and there's wisdom on all kinds of different spaces and in creation. And, and there is a lot of like, like I just wanna say like that we can go to God for wisdom for a lot of things. But here is the servant Approaching God and saying, I rely on you regularly so that I could have the words to speak, to sustain with a word him who is weary. And if you've ever, if you've ever um, tried to encourage someone who's in a bad place, I'm sure every time you talk to them, it goes great. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. When people are in a bad place, like you can be like the nicest person in the world. And sometimes what you get back is like not pretty. And I think that's why the servant is not just relying on God for words to encourage. He's relying on God when others respond to those really encouraging words. Because they don't respond well all the time. Look at what it says. Verse five, it's another the Lord God. And I think this is related because he says he's opened my ear and he's talking about before he's talking about being taught so that he can encourage. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. Like I, I, I spoke words, I would say I spoke words of encouragement. I was taught, like I, I, I obeyed him and moved towards people. I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This is the servant relying on God, I think, when his heart is 100% in the right place, 
when he's desiring to speak with a word to those who are weary, when he's moving forward out of love and care for his people and for others and his sheep. And what, he, what does Jesus get out of perfect love for the world? A cross. Friends bailing on him. Being utterly misunderstood. I mean, I can, you read some of the stories of the apostles and you're just like, what? <laughs> like, weren't you listening two pages earlier, you know? <laughs> it's just, but here is Jesus relying on God, seeking his word, like listening to what the Lord has to say so he can encourage those who are weary. That's his heart as he approaches the world, people around him. And he gets defamed, slandered, literally beat, then nailed to a cross. I think it's, it's hard when you and I are approaching a situation that we think is like, we're doing it in a godly way. Let's just say we are relying on God and we move towards others in a way that's like genuinely caring for them, right? How ready are we to, how like, how like geared up are we to check out when that does not go well? <laughs> when we've like, feel like we've done it right. <laughs> It just, it's easy. And I think it's easy because what we're doing, what, like what we want out of that, we want to receive from that situation or that individual and not actually from God himself. It's kind of revealing to us that we've approached someone, we move towards them. I think we're, we're, we're like, we're, we do want, to bring words. We do want to submit to God. We do want to encourage. We do want to exhort. We want to, whatever. We're in the, we're approaching something in the right mindset and it doesn't go well and we're ready to check out because we wanted something out of that and we just didn't get it. And I would say, you know, the shoe fits wear it, but most of the times we want, the thing we want out of that is from that person <laughs> and not from God himself. And I think the only way, the only way that we could actually rely on God in that kind of a situation is if we recognize what Ben said earlier, that God is with us in that. And that's where the servant goes. The servant relies on God for his helpful presence. He relies on God for his helpful presence. Look at verse 7. It's another, but the Lord God, he's communicating what happened and then says, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Or I feel like you can read the previous line and say, uh, you hid my, not my face from disgrace. And so wait, I've not been disgraced. Like those seems like contradictory kind of statements one after another. I feel like it was uncomfortable. 
Um, our house would be like 59 degrees if I had to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I think that Jesus relying on, the servant relying on God to be his helpful presence, he explains that as he goes. He says, therefore, I've set my face like a flint. I, I, I know that I shall not be put to shame. I know that I'll not be put to shame. And if you look at chapter 49, previous, uh, chapter 49, previous chapter, verse 23, at the very end, it says, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Like, this is just, this is the servant actually working, walking out, like working out what God has been like encouraging his people to do for, you know, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh, that, that, that idea that the one who waits on me will not be put to shame, that's been communicated a handful of times through the, through the book of Isaiah. And here is the servant communicating that I won't be put, even though I may approach people, even though I may rely on God so that I can encourage, even though I may rely on God as I step into situations and it doesn't go well, I know, I believe what he said, so I trust that where I'm at in my relationship with God, I'm not gonna be put to shame and he is going to be the one to give me a measure of success as he determines it on his timeline by his will because I'm being faithful and I'm being near and I'm being close to my relationship with my heavenly father. Like that's the overriding framework for everything in the servant's life. His relation to his father, who is committed to him, who loves him, who cares for him, who has promised to vindicate him, who has promised to, to, to actually take those efforts and uh, as Paul would say, uh, if, if we sow to the spirit, we'll reap. Like he's promised, no matter what he sees around him, that what he does will result in not being put to shame, will result in the presence and the glory and the goodness of his heavenly father being near him and being with him. There's promises there. And that's what he says. He says, he who vindicates me is near. He who vindicates me is near. Yeah, oh, I'm red. My batteries are dead. So I'll probably blank in and out. If you have extra ones, then I can throw them in there. But if they die, I'll just be loud. Um, <laughs> you know, do you want me to come and get them? Yeah. Thanks. It's the uh, thirty-second warning from our headset. Green success. We got a little toy drone at home yesterday and it takes an hour and a half to charge for like 10 minutes of play. And JJ's like, is it charged? <laughs> then we plug it back in. He's like, is it charged? I'm like, no, bro, sorry. We're gonna have to just wait for that one. Uh, we don't use vindicate uh, the word very often. Uh, it's kind of like God is going to be the one. Verse, we're in verse 8. Here is, you know, 
We talk about the servant relying on God for words to encourage others. We talk about the servant relying on God when others respond. We're talking about the servant relying on God for his helpful presence, like the, the relying on the, the reality, like trusting the reality that God has communicated that he is with him. Trusting in the reality that God has communicated that the one who waits on me will not be put to shame. Like he, he's trusting that God is there and will vindicate him, will, will sh- prove him to be correct in the, in the ways he's working in the world. And, you know, we can fast forward and say, here we are, 2,000 years later, Jesus is sitting on his throne with a resurrected body, making every enemy his footstool. This is what he says to the Pharisees. He says, when you see the son of man again, you'll see him coming with the clouds. He's communicating that he's like, I am going to sit on the throne in rule and reign. That's going to be the next time we talk. And they say blasphemy and put him on the cross. But he was dead serious. Like he knew that his heavenly father would vindicate him. I think that our temptation then, our temptation then, well, how about this? I have heard people say to me, in, in light of that reality, like, okay, well, if I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps and rely on God, my whole life will be the worst, and then I die, <laughs> and I'll get it all back. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's, like, we, I think when we hear this, like, suffering to glory pattern that God has for his people, it's easy for us to just, like, project the worst on that. <laughs> And I think that there is, there is this, there is a truly broad aspect where even Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Like he's saying, be willing to follow me to death. And, and Paul said, you know, we despaired even to death, yet we relied on the one who could raise from the dead. So there is, there is this like bigger sense that I want to affirm and say, our lives in this broken world will be a measure, a measure of suffering and the glories that we look forward to ahead will not be in comparison to the things that we suffer in this world. Like that is a Christian truth, 100%. At the same time, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as is in heaven. Like, so there is a real sense in which as we go out into the world, we wanna be a light we want to demonstrate wisdom. It even says in um, Isaiah that, that others will flock towards the people of God so that they can learn the law of God. So they can learn the wisdom and the glory and the majesty that God has communicated to us in his word. So, so there is a sense in which on earth, our desire to see God build something and do something meaningful and permanent and glorifying to him is a good and righteous impulse also. I like to say it that uh, the wor- Proverbs is how the world works. If you act a fool, it doesn't go so well for you. If you're wise, there's benefits to that. But we live in a world with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Sometimes it's just a train wreck. 
And we, and we have to like hear what God is saying and rely on him to build and do something and create his kingdom on earth as in heaven. We have to rely on him to do that in and through us the way he desires to do it. But trusting that as we move forward, as we rely on him, as we know that he's with us, that he's going to build something even in this life that has long lasting value in, as the kingdom comes on earth as is in heaven. Like there's still a godly desire to see a measure of our vindication even in this life. And I think that it's difficult then, it's difficult then when we see other people or we see, we use scriptural terms, the wicked succeeding a bunch, like doing better. You, you can look at people that for all practical purposes, it seems like they could care less what God has to say and they're in a much better position. I mean, you think about Jesus. Here is God incarnate. Here's, here is the tabernacle, like the, dwell, like the dwelling of God with his people. Talking to religious leaders who are claiming to represent his father and are calling him blasphemous and ready to put him up on a cross. Jesus has done nothing his whole life but obey and honor the Lord and rely on God. And the, the people scheming with Pilate and and sort of making power plays and, and doing all these things and ignoring what God has to say about, <laughs> ignoring what God has to say as he stands there and talks to them, basically. Like how much more ignoring what God has to say can you get? It feels like things are going well for them. But Jesus is not just relying on God for his helpful presence. The servant's not just relying on God for his helpful presence. He's relying on God when it looks like others succeed. Look at what it says. Verse nine, so it's the last, behold the Lord God. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? It's kind of piggybacking off of God's vindication. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment and a moth will eat them up. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Jesus knows the servant relies on the reality that regardless of what he's seeing at the time, I mean, this is, we're talking about Israel worried about, you know, we had Assyria, then we got Babylon coming. They're like a kind of an insignificant little nation in the, in like, in the scheme of the world powers. You know, no one was making the movie 300 about Israel's group, you know? They just ain't got it going on. <laughs> It doesn't look good. And yet, look at us. We're here 3,000 years later considering what Isaiah told them so that we could worship and honor and give thanks to God. Most people don't even know when Babylon existed. <laughs> you know, like, like a superpower that was around for almost a millennia is gone. 
And I think that it's easy then in our little short lifespans to see the wicked prospering and be narrow-minded like that. Because yeah, compared to me and what I have to offer, there's a lot of other people doing way more amazing and glorious things. But the, the beauty, the, the wonder, the majesty is that like, we're talking about the servant here who is doing all these things. We're united to him. We're a part of what he's doing. We're an integral part of what he's doing. Me and Bridget were reading in Ephesians this morning. It says his body, the church, which is the fullness of all things. You're like, the, the church, the what? And it's just, I mean, I'm not going to take time to make sense of that because I'm not making sense of that. But the point of Ephesians is that we're an important part of what our head, King Jesus, is doing as he builds his kingdom on earth as is in heaven. Like the ways in which we trust God, the ways in which we rely on him, the ways in which we step forward in ways that may not in time seem like something significant is building something that will last for all eternity. His kingdom has no end. And when we rely on God, we can look at those who may seem to be succeeding and we can say with the servant, if it's not built on his word, all of them will wear out like a garment. And the moth will eat them up. So he ends this section, I think, by pointing the gun back at us, <laughs> which is like the uncomfortable part. Verse 10 says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Like he just, the servant just communicated to us all the ways which he relies on God. And he, and he calls us, he says, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Isaiah is looking at you and saying, you rely on God. Rely on him for words to encourage others. We didn't go to uh, another verse in Ephesians that talks about our speech. All of our speech as believers should be meant for building up. That should be like an, that should be an integral part of the wisdom that God gives us should be to, to encourage those who are weary. He's saying re rely on God when others don't respond to that well. As we're obedient, as we seek to uh, proclaim his glory and his goodness and, and, and it, it feels like it's just not going anywhere, do we rely on him for the results of that? Do, do we rely on God that he's present with us in that? That he's here, like right now in our church as he's dwelling, as the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you? <laughs> we rely on God for when we look around and it seems like others are succeeding. And I think that our temptation, I mean, my temptation, is that when things are not going the way I want them to go, I scramble to compensate for that. I scramble to compensate for that. And 99 times out of 100, when I'm scrambling to compensate for that, 
I'm just running away from God. It's back to my tendency to run from God. I'm not scrambling into his presence, usually, you know? I'm not, my impulse isn't to go to him and see him as the one to vindicate me. My impulse isn't to remind myself of his promises, that he's with me, that he's here, that he's walking with me in this confusion, in this advent, between the advents. I'm going after something else because I'm the one that's gonna build X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And look, look, this is what he says. He says, behold, all of you, you want light? You want light so, so you have wisdom, so you know where, who to rely on? All of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you have kindled. Go for it. And I think most of us know that when we do that, some, it, sometimes we just make it worse. I mean, we do it because we feel like they're, it's still, it's still a lot, like you're still accomplishing something, you know? But he says, walk by the light of your fire. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. You shall lie down in torment. And I think, you know, we can look at it in the broad scheme of scripture for believers. He is committed to us. He's not, he said, he started this whole section with like, I haven't divorced you. You're pursuing other things than me, but I'm equipped to draw you back in. And I think when, I think there are times, even in this life, when we experience the, the, you know, when we're moving towards other things to like make things happen and we don't have peace and we don't have joy, like God graciously makes it harder, I think, so that we would stop and just go to him. So that we would just let it go and rely on him. So that we reorient ourselves and enjoy more of him. It's such a more comfortable place to be relying on God than trying to make our own torch. It's, it's just easier. And the reality is that like deep down our, in our sin, we're battling the flesh and the spirit there. It's like, we don't, it's easier, but we just don't believe God. We don't trust him. We don't think about it. There's so many other things. <laughs> and it's encouraging though, when God says, I know, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not turning you away. I promise I'm not turning you away. He says, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. I am so much more powerful than your inclination to run away from me. I'm gonna draw you in. I'm gonna teach you like the servant because you're united to him because you're an integral part of what he's doing to build his kingdom. I'm gonna teach you like the servant to rely on me. And when we do that, when we trust him with these things, we get more peace, more joy. And I really truly believe that even in this life, we see him do greater and more wonderful things than you and I could have patchworked together. 
We see God accomplish stuff. Life is kind of a a constant battle of between running from God and relying on God. That will be your day to day. That will be the next 20 years of your life. And it's by his grace and through his spirit that we just learn to rely on him more. In more places, more deeply, more sincerely. Because he's so powerful and, and, and is so committed to us. So let's pray and thank him for that. God, you are good. You're, you're caring, you're loving, you're considerate, you're patient. And you don't run out of patience like I do when I'm tired and weak. Like our husbands and wives do, like our friends do. Lord, you are utterly committed to us. Help us rely on you more so that we could see you work more, so that we could trust you for vindication, so that we could just have more joy and peace as we rest in the goodness and glory of what you're doing in this world. Thank you for that truth. Amen.